Let's see how you guys do. Good morning. Good morning. That's pretty good. Hey, let me jump right into our text this morning. I'll be reading from Genesis 22, 1 to 19, as we continue our journey with Abraham and Sarah. Only today we're with Abraham and Isaac, so let me read for us. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do, him, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and I have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies." And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, we ask that by your spirit you do the work within us that you long to do. That you would help us to hear from you. That you would um, work within us amazing things. So that we'd be more like Jesus, so we'd make Jesus known. And Lord, I ask that nothing I would say or do or have said or done, left undone or unsaid, would in any way at all hinder the work of your spirit. But instead, we would see Jesus. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Isn't this the most appropriate text for Father's Day? <laughs> I'd like to tell you that I planned it, but I did not. Uh, uh, it is sort of happened as we were putting the sermon thing together. In fact, I tried to avoid this text several times, and Dave kept asking me, are you going to preach Genesis 22? I kept trying to put it out. I'm just kidding. It just, uh... in all seriousness, though, this is really an unexpected text, isn't it? Um, 
it's troubling in many ways. Verses 1 and 2 in particular, they're really unexpected, especially in light of everything that we've read to this point. From Genesis 12 to, to 21, really, it seems to be like this, this whole thing in this story is, um, is about Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac and how uh, his offspring would be this blessing to the world. But how, how could that be if Isaac is reduced to ashes? This uh, is an unexpected command of God. But it does teach us something about God. It teaches us something powerful about God. It's something that we should bear in mind, especially as we face unexpected tests and trials. But this command isn't the only unexpected thing in this chapter. Um, Did you notice Abraham in Genesis 22? Um, Abraham is prepared to go through it, through with this uh, command that God gives him. Uh, He's prepared to obey. But what's unexpected is... um, is that he does so without diversion. He does so without taking a shortcut, without trying to help God, uh, without trying to discuss it. And it's really un-Abraham-like from what we've seen so far. And it really makes me wonder how, right? But there's another unexpected thing about this text as well. And it's by far the most important part of this text If you can push back, those of you who have uh, walked through this text before, if you can push back your previous experiences with Genesis 22, it should catch you off guard. It is unexpected that this text has this profound connection to the gospel. It's unexpected that in this story, we would have this rich connection to the person, word, and work of Jesus. So let's dig into this unexpected text for a few minutes and see what we can learn from it. As we, um, as we, like Abraham and Sarah, have been called kind of to take this journey, to leave the things that we've known, to step into the things that we don't quite know yet. Let's, let's dig into it, and let's begin with poetry. I uh, have mentioned to you before that I'm a fan of poetry. Uh, I've written some poetry. I would like to tell you that it's good, but it isn't. <laughs> Uh, I think I told you before that I actually proposed to my wife uh, in a poem, and when she got through with it, she went, that's nice, because <laughs> uh, it was so obscure she couldn't tell that I had proposed in it. So while I like poetry, a poet I am not. But one of my favorite poets is a poet named Robinson Jeffers, and I'm always surprised when people say they've heard of Robinson Jeffers. Uh, that's a whole different story, but he has this poem called Hurt Hawks where he uh, deals with a hurt hawk. And in that poem, he has this line. Uh, It's one of my favorite lines. And when I first read it, it just jumped out at me as as this really great description of God. He refers to God in this poem as the wild God of the world. I like that because it's humbling. Because just as soon as I start to think that my theology and everything is sort of in line and I've, I've got this and I've got it all figured out, God does something unexpected. And it reminds me that even though while God, um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, while God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, while his uh, mercies never fail, while, while God extends his grace and love and mercy, he is not limited by any of those things. He is not limited by my imagination. 
what I think of him. He is not limited by my own experiences with him. He is um, the wild God of the world in that he does these unexpected things as we read through scripture. It just sort of shows up uh, because he isn't, he isn't limited by any of those things. And so Genesis 22 sort of shows up and reminds us he is indeed the wild God of the world. And sometimes the things that he does, they're unsettling to us. Which reminds me of Isaiah 55, which, which says that, that his ways are higher than ours, his, th- his thoughts are higher than ours. And so when I approach Genesis 22, I'm reminded that he is not limited by what I think, nor does it give me the opportunity or the permission to judge him or to apologize for him or try to explain it away, but rather to sit in it and try to glean as much as I can about the very character and nature of God. Because I'm uncomfortable with this notion is right off the bat in Genesis 22.1 that says that God tested Abraham. Because I'm not a good test taker. And up until this point, neither was Abraham. And so I sit in this moment looking at this text and understand that it's teaching me about the way that God often engages with his people. And that it should keep me a bit overwhelmed. And indeed, some ways he truly is the wild God of the world in that regard. Because I don't control him, nor do I limit him. Nor can I fully understand or comprehend all the things that God is doing as he engages with us as his people and the things that he asks us to go through with, right? I am tempted at this moment to quote from the Chronicles of Narnia about Aslan, but I will refrain from doing so. In some ways, the unexpectedness of Genesis 22 uh, is unsettling, and at the same time, it's comforting. This test is unexpected. It comes out of the blue. And often that's how we experience the world, is it not? These tests of faith that come out of the blue. We're not given a warning on a syllabus. God doesn't give us a syllabus at the beginning of life and say, you can expect a test when you hit your 50s. They just come. And what do we do with those? And what's going on? The truth is God wants to test Abraham. He wants to test his people. And if you fast forward to the gospel accounts, you'll discover that Jesus himself was, was tested in many regards and tempted. And that means to me that part of what it means to be a person of faith is that I can anticipate it, but I can also rest assured that God is with me in it. Early, we, we read from 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, where we were reminded that in this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. And James tells us, too, that we should count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So while this idea of testing here in Genesis and other places may be problematic, may make us squirm a bit, the reality is it's about, um, it's about the quality of faith. It's not a pass or fail. It's about testing the metal, about where someone is in their journey, this quality of it. This test for Abraham as if he would withhold Isaac or not. He was testing his own loyalty to God. Would he obey? He believed God, but would he obey God in this moment? This testing here for Abraham was meant to show where his heart was. 
when it comes to the Lord and his testing us, that's what's intended to show us where we might be, those strong places in our lives, those weak places in our faith, so that we may grow in Christian maturity and be able to withstand to do the things that he's called us to do. I don't like it. I've dealt with uh, testing and trials in my own life, and I didn't like it going through it. But on the other side, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Testing is part of what it means to be a person of faith, and it reminds us what God is about in the world. But the truth is, as much as this test uh, impacts Abraham, it's as much about God as it is about him. In fact, it might be more about God, because this text reveals this test for Abraham is this mutual test for God. Uh, it's more about God because God reveals himself and he's continuing to do this work of calling Abraham and Sarah out of this world to create something new, to do this new thing so that through them he can bless the world with the coming of Christ. It's this new thing that he's about. And so he is putting them to this test because God it will not be stopped in his plan and purposes to bring about the restoration and reconciliation and redemption of the world through Jesus, Right? And so, of course, the wild God of the world is going to test Abraham just as much as the wild God of the world is going to test you and me. But the real test is on God, because if he is a God of his word in this moment with Abraham, he is responsible for providing the lamb, providing the ram. He's going to be responsible for finding another way to make this promise that he has made about blessing the world through Abraham and Sarah possible. And that is unexpected. This whole thing is unexpected. It's unpredictable. And it doesn't make sense. But what else is unexpected in this text is verse 3. Because in verse 3, Abraham does something that's un-Abraham-like. He prepares to go through with it without equivocating, without taking a sojourn, without spending time with an Egyptian slave without trying to help God or do anything else. And that is truly unexpected. Remember who he is? You remember back in Genesis 12 when all this started off, this journey when God called Abraham and Sarah to walk away from everything and to go? When we read it, we think on the surface, boy, he really did it. He's really obeying God. But the reality is he took a lot with him, right? He doesn't fully do what God tells him to do. He equivocates a little. Then later on, uh, when a famine hits, when, the, when troubles rise, maybe perhaps a test or a trial arose, he went to Egypt on a sojourn. Got in a little trouble there, had some issues with Pharaoh, then went on later on, and when God wasn't moving at the speed that he and Sarah thought he should in terms of bringing an heir, he spent some time with Hagar. So what happened? I didn't expect that verse 3 would be and that he basically picked up and did exactly what God told him to do without equivocating. Something, something happened. After all these things, uh, and he didn't know it was a test. It's unexpected. How, how was Abraham able to do this? Our um, tendency here is to try to think about how he felt. But we don't know that, and it really doesn't make any difference because that's not really the point of this text. The reality is, is the question should be, how, how, how was Abraham then prepared to do this? This is so unexpected. Will, will he obey this command of God that in this moment makes no sense? Would you? Do you? 
You believe God, but do you obey him in the moments when he's asking you to do things that don't make sense, that don't make a profit, that don't um, go along with what the culture says? Does God not realize that Abraham needs Isaac in order to be the father of nations? Does God not realize that you're busy, that you've got things going on in your life too? Does, does Abraham love Isaac more than, he's, more than his willingness to obey God? Aren't I supposed to love my, my, my family and make those commitments stronger to them than, than I am to God? This is no throwaway test for Abraham. He doesn't know it's a test. Uh, we know that God is testing Abraham because the writer of Genesis tells us. And, and so this question then is that he gets this really, this is a hard ask. This is, this is terrible. How then is this man who up until now has blown it? How in this passage is he suddenly able then to go and be prepared to do this horrible thing that God is commanding him to do? We don't, we don't know exactly. But something seems to have changed. Something seems to have changed because in Genesis 22, 7 and 8, we read this. As Isaac asks his father, where's the, where's the lamb? It's a legit question. Where is it? And Abraham's response is profound when he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together. That's not what he said when the famine hit. God will provide. It's not what he said when Sarah suggested he spend time with Hagar. What happened? How could he say that? How could it inform his willingness to obey this strange command from God? We don't know for sure. We could use a little redeemed imagination, perhaps. Especially as we realize that throughout this story, God continually shows up. God shows up. God keeps his promise. God is faithful every time. All along the way, God is faithful. God is there. God provides all along the way. And then there was this boy, right? There's this boy asking Abraham the question. This boy is asking his father, who is well over 100 at this point. This boy whose mother, when she was 90, gave birth to him, who's still back at their home, is asking him. Maybe, maybe Abraham is able to say God will provide because he sees the provision of God in Isaac. And maybe he's able to look back over his life and see how God has provided. And so in the midst of a test and a trial, he's able to obey this crazy, awful, terrible thing, command, because he has seen God's faithfulness. I think that may help us, right? When we face trials and tests of all kinds, we may need to think back on all that God has done in our lives. And maybe we need to think about that in terms of this church as well. Uh, I appreciate Jeff Baker and, and Brad in the class are teaching the history of this church. And this church has a rich history. Maybe when you go through various trials and tests, you look back and say, God provided, God will provide. Maybe when you face unexpected trials in your life and they come, maybe in those moments you look back and you think about the ways that God has provided and rest assured that he will continue to provide. 
Abraham had seen God's provision so much so that in Hebrews 11, 17, and 18, we discover that the writer of Hebrews is able to think about this time in, in the life of Abraham and conclude then that, God must have, that, that Abraham must have thought that God would raise descendants from, Abraham, from Isaac's ashes. The writer of the Hebrews concludes that Abraham believed that God would just simply raise Isaac from the dead. He believed and obeyed. He believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Which brings me to the most important piece of this text. And the most unexpected part of it all is how this text is best understood in light of the gospel. It has this profound connection to the person and the word and the work of Jesus. In Genesis 22, 15 to 19, we get this incredibly important element to the story. The angel of the Lord had, has stopped Abraham from taking Isaac's life and commended him for, for his obedience. And then reiterates this promise that through Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And, and this is the thing that Paul understood. We read this a couple of weeks ago in Galatians Three, uh, now the promises were made to Abraham, to his offspring. He does not say to, to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. It was this understanding that the offspring, this blessing, would be the Messiah, would be Christ. And Genesis 22 gives us this great foreshadowing in this moment, but also in this entire story, a, a glimpse into God's plan, his purposes, through redeeming the world. It began in the Garden of Eden, in fact, and it continues. There's a crimson thread of the gospel that runs all the way through the Bible itself, this great biblical story that is constantly pointing to God's plan to redeem the world through the coming of Jesus. There's this beautiful thing, and we see it powerfully right here in Genesis 22. This great connection to the person of Jesus and what he does, this grand foreshadowing, and it's the best way for us to understand what Jesus will do and what he's done. Isaac, you see, walked away from the altar, and there was a substitute. But friends, Jesus didn't walk away. God did not spare his own son so that you and I might have life and life to its fullest measure. Isaac's death couldn't restore humanity to a right relationship with God. Isaac's shed blood would have just been bloodshed. His death would have simply been tragic. But Jesus, but Jesus' death, Jesus' death was the victory. Because Jesus didn't walk away from the cross. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. In Romans 8.32 Paul reminds us that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? And the God in this moment, God has provided. God did provide the ram that day for Abraham, but he provided the lamb of God for us. Abraham believed that God would provide, and he obeyed. Even an unexpected command. He obeyed because he believed God, that God would provide because he had seen it over and over and over again. Friends, God has provided the lamb for us so that we might be in a right relationship with him. Why wouldn't he also give us all the things that we need when we're faced with various trials and tests? He's given us Christ. The story, as tough as it may be for us to read, that God tested Abraham in this way is a foreshadowing of God's promise that through Abraham's offspring, through Jesus, God would bless the world 
and restore us to a right relationship with him and each other and the world and all creation. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, I ask that you be with us as we go from here shortly. I pray that you would be with us as we look to you to help us, especially as we face um, trials of all kinds. Lord, help us. Help us to know that it's from your hand and that you will provide in the midst of all those things. But we ask that you be with us. We ask this in the powerful and the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.